Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. She ready to get in the Word? I'm going to teach you today. I'm going to go deeper. It says in Ephesians 2, I love, I love, love, love this passage. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. Come on, talk to me this morning. God is building a home. Not a meeting, not a building, not just to tick the list, do our religious duty, appease and angry. It's not, He's building a home. When you think of your home, what do you think of? You don't think of bricks. You don't think of a fridge. You think of the people that live in your home. You think of the conversations and the healing and the joy and the tears and the laughter and everything that happens in a home. What's God building? He's building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what He's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, but here we go. Now He's using you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you. He's using you. Fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. Can I just encourage you, I feel this is for someone today. When you imagine a brick home, I live in, in Mobbury, a lot of the homes are brick homes. They're all pretty similar. In, in this day, these bricks weren't all identical, yet they required a mortar to hold them together to, in order to fit together. The stones that came together to build the temple were all very unique and they were mold and shaped off site so they could come together intentionally. God designed a church where you were an individual, where we were all different to one another. We weren't all exactly the same brick. This is not a Mobbery home brick. This is the kind of stone that you'd get maybe in Norwood or somewhere where you'd go, where you get all these different stones that come together, yet the master builder brings them together. Your Flavor, your shape, your experience, your history, it fits here. He brings us together stone by stone, brick by brick. That, and He is the cornerstone that holds it all together. And we see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us, all of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. Jesus, I thank You for Your church where individuals can come and be part of making a home where we can belong and grow and contribute, where we can have family, we can have intimacy and dependency and joy and strength. Pray today would not be a meeting. Pray today would not be a tick. But I pray today would be encounter and revelation so we can be the church you've called us to be. And everyone, in agreement, said, Amen. Amen. Fantastic. Let's go. Let's go. Everyone say, let's go. When God made the church, isn't it interesting that He called it? As we receive these metaphors in Scripture, we see the family, we see the body, and we see the bride. We see the groom and the bride coming together. The groom and the bride, the body and the family. All of these metaphors are central to any person's healthy maturing, healthy multiplying and healthy living. Jesus is trying to show the church is way more than a temple we come to, 
but as a body, a family and a marriage, he's showing there is actually something that is essential to your healthy maturing, healthy multiplying and healthy living. We talked last week that God's benefits, God's benefits are found in the unity of the believers coming together. Not not us just doing life alone in our walk with Jesus, but together, when we come together as as broken people, stones that He brings together and moulds together, there His benefits are. In marriage, we we talked a lot about the bride last week and the metaphor of marriage, we receive each other's presence in marriage and we receive each other's benefits in marriage, our wisdom, our experience, our giftings, our history, our perspective. When there's something in worship today, I don't know if you noticed, it's around the third song and God's presence is here. But all of a sudden, after everyone turns up and we find our seat and we get our coffee and we get our kids checked in and we say hi to the person down the road and we shuffle around and we decide, do I wear the jacket or do I get rid of the jacket? Is it too hot, too cold? Where are we in the song? All of a sudden, there's a moment where the church joins in worship. See, worship is happening maybe before you even came in. But there was a moment where you could suddenly experience and sense the manifest presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's a moment in worship, and you know what, why that happens? It's because we're not just in song, but suddenly the church unified and in agreement as one body joins together in worship. And it's there that we receive peace and joy and wisdom and grace and healing. We receive His benefits and He comes and He reveals to us His presence because we're not just in a church building, but we're beginning to be the church. We're trying to help you have a better understanding of how Jesus saw the church. So as a church, we can fully know His benefits and know His presence, amen? Who wants the benefits of God? Who wants the presence of God? It's found by us being us. So let me show you some scriptures that show how God saw us right from the beginning. In Genesis, when God made the earth, it says so clearly, He said, let us make man in our image. From the beginning of time, God existed in community, dependent community, community that relied on, found fulfilment and found wholeness only in each other. Let us make man in our image. When Jesus, then we go from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we now go to the book of Revelation and when we see what the church will be, what the end of this will look like, it says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Do you notice? When God sees us at the end, He doesn't just see us singular, He sees us plural. He sees us together as His body, as His church. His presence always goes with us, but of course He is Emmanuel, which is not God with me, it's God with us. Let me show you the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus showed the disciples how, where to pray, He says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so often we find this as a guide for my individual prayer, except when Jesus taught us how to pray, He never taught us how to pray individually. He taught us how to pray corporately because He always saw at the beginning and the end more than just me and more than just your faith, more than just your prayers, more than just your worship. He saw our prayers, our worship, our fellowship, and our faith. So he says, give us. How often have we known this and repeated this, yet when we pray, we say, give me. 
When we religiously repeat this prayer, we say the right words, but when we privately pray this prayer, we say, give me. But he says, give us this day, ah, read it with me, ah, daily bread. And forgive us our debts or our sins as, we've, uh, as we also have forgiven, forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you notice there it's not my sin, it's our sin. Do you notice it's not my debts, it's our debts? You notice it's not my temptation, it's our temptation? The enemy's biggest trick is to make you feel like you are the worst person. Like you are the only hurt person or the only broken person or the only misunderstood person because the enemy brings the opposite of the kingdom. He brings the kingdom of the world where we live in the kingdom of heaven. We're in the world but not of the world. And when Jesus saw you, he never even just saw you with your sin. It's our sin that we are forgiven for. It's our debts and our needs and our struggles and our healing and our restoration as he comes to bring healing to the world and his church. Are you doing okay today? Let's go to Jesus' last prayer because before Jesus goes to the cross, we see the longest recorded prayer in Scripture and there in the very last moments before He goes to the cross. I mean, in my Bible, the very next chapter at the end of this literally starts with Jesus is arrested. So this is the focus of where He is going. As He is about to go to the cross, He is not just looking at you or me. As I've sometimes said or been led to believe, I'm included in who he prayed for, but he didn't just pray for Josh. It says this in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Read the red with me. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. As Jesus saw the church and the power of the church, He cannot escape the fact that the Father and Him are one, that there is community. And as He goes to the cross, He's not just going to the cross for me, He is going to the cross for us. He's not just putting responsibility on me to share His faith. He goes, they will see me in them. His presence is not just given to go with me, but His presence goes with us. I mean, often talk about my God, my Lord. Paul, when Paul writes to the church and he's teaching the church how to think, Jesus lives his life. Now Paul explains how we are to live our life following Jesus. Paul only once in all of Scripture says, my Lord. Yet 53 times he says, our Lord. You see, even when he talks about our relationship with God, it's only ever really fully discovered in the community of believers that we grow in God, we understand God together. However, we struggle with this because we live in a world of radical individualism. Come on, who's selfish here today? We all are. And if you didn't put up your hand, you maybe don't even realise you are. Because we grow up in the most individual time in all of history. And we are socialised to believe that my dreams and my goals and my fulfilment takes precedence over my family and my church's needs. 
This is what the world teaches us. We've got to know it so we can understand that while we live in the world, we're not of the world, we're of a different kingdom and a different mentality. Is that we believe that my immediate needs, my immediate thoughts, my immediate priorities, my immediate perspectives are more important than the long-term health of the larger group. So what happens is, because the enemy makes us feel individuals when God sees us as an us, is that when we have difficulty or conflict or different priorities or different theologies or different belief, what we do is we withdraw and we leave and we take rather than stay and heal and grow together. The, end of, the world says, well, if, you, if you don't find it in this relationship, go get another relationship. If you don't find it in this family, go find another family. If you don't find what you need in this job, go get another job. However, God put us in the family of God, which is hard to understand because we live in a world that is so naturally selfish. And what happens is this affects how we see the church, and if I can, our commitment to one another. See, in the culture of Jesus' day, the health of the community always took a higher priority than the health of the individual. The health of the group, the health of the family, took a higher priority and precedence than the health of the one. So there's no question that when Jesus needs a metaphor to give to what his church, his family, his plan is gonna look like, Jesus chooses to use the family as this example. Now in 2001, we missed this because can we admit today, a model of families here in 21 is so broken. Isn't, isn't the model of families in, in, in the world broken? And, and it's broken because we've got more broken families today than we have whole families. We have, when kids turn, we're taught, when you turn 18, you either move out or you're kicked out, one or the other. As soon as you can, get out of the house, have your own experience and live your own life. We, we live in our own rooms, in our own spaces, with our own TVs and with our own entertainment. I mean, screen time dominates our time together, that we're in the same room as one another, but we're not in the same space and family and unity as one another. I mean, we don't eat meals together like we once did because they don't fit our own schedules, our own dietary requirements or our own preferences. So we'll eat in our own time, in our own way, even though we're the exact same family. Communication has dropped. I mean, in Victoria right now, they're trying to bring in rules that you can't say mother or father anymore, even though they're clearly, the Bible shows us is that He created mother and father. And the, the very essence of family is trying to be broken. My son the other day, because I told him to pack the dishwasher, which is one of his number of jobs, he said, I'm the strictest dad in all of his class because I make his kids do jobs. And I thought, you thought I was strict before. You're about to find out what's coming. But what I'm realising is that the world we live in, the, fam- the modern family we live in is actually not the healthy family we're meant to live like. But in Jesus' days, families were different. Generations grew up under one roof together. If you wanna understand how Jesus is teaching, you have to understand the context of Jesus' day. Because He wasn't teaching from the context of 2021 when I read the Bible. He was teaching in the context and the culture of the day. So you have to understand why He uses this example. In those days, people would live together in family. 
few months ago, I talked about the Rostians, the Italian community. This is like the Jewish community. They live together with grandparents, living with parents, living next to aunties and uncles, living with children in the same home. In the Bible days, uh, you wouldn't choose who you would marry. The family would choose who you would marry for the good of the future of the family. You would marry, you were chosen that you would marry someone that would have a good reputation, a good income, bring a, a help the community and help the family. And, and I'm not here to teach that today, guys. You can just chill. Your parents are not listening right now anyway. But the, the, the in, when it came to your career, you never chose your career. Your family chose your career for the good of the community. You wouldn't choose where you would live. Your family would find for you a plot of land that you would live nearby so that you could continue to do life in community. We didn't have the brokenness and the separation and the individualism and the, and the independency of what family has today. So when Jesus uses the model of the family, He's thinking quite different to how we think. And I'm not trying to say all of this should happen, but our world says, as you mature, you move towards independence. But in the Kingdom of God, the more, Christ, the more mature you are in God, the more dependent you are on Him and the family of God. Let me say again, the more mature you are in Christ, the more dependent, I know I'm ruffling some feathers today, but I'll, I'll speak the truth because the truth will set us free. And I look at the world, I don't want us to be a church that looks like the world and just has a tick, we're a Christian. I wanna live in the kingdom culture He has for our church, for our kids' sake and my grandkids' sake. The more mature you are in Jesus, the more dependent you need to be on the family of God. Think on that this week. How dependent am I? Because we don't like to be dependent on anyone. So Jesus then uses another, another metaphor. In Jewish community, do you, know what the, do you know what the strongest of relationships were? What was the closest bond you could have with someone? It actually wasn't marriage. It wasn't even a parent to a child. The closest relationship you could have with someone was with your sibling. Brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, brothers and sisters. The closest of relationships was found in siblings. Which is why when he uses a metaphor, he says, I'm a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Because there was no other closer relationship than a brother. The greatest betrayal you could have was not one of a best friend. It was the betrayal of a brother. This is why the Bible is a book of, 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 of siblings, of brothers and sisters. The Bible's filled with Cain and Abel and Jacob and Esau and Joseph and his brothers and Aaron, Miriam and, and Moses and David and their kids and Rachel and Leah and the disciples that were brothers. And you look all the way through Scripture, it is a story of brothers and the relationship of brothers, which is because they are the most dependent relationship, the most personal, the most intimate of relationship that anyone could have. So then when Jesus goes to birth the church, He does something significant. When was the church birthed? At His resurrection. Jesus came and gave His life, but there is His resurrection. He pours out the Spirit and He births the church. So we then go to the book of John and Jesus sees Mary who has been dependent on Jesus alone. Jesus was the source for Mary's relational, emotional, spiritual journey with God. She matured by following and being in relationship with Jesus. Yet when Jesus rises again, put on the screen, He says to Mary, don't cling to me. Notice this, language is intentional. Don't cling to me. 
because I haven't ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And your Father, to my God and your God. Now let me show you why this is significant. In all of the Gospels up to this point, Jesus refers to the Father as the Father or my Father. He never delegates now that the Father has become our Father too. When He gives us a guideline of how to pray, He shows us always the intent. But in Jesus' intention, in Jesus' sorry, in Jesus' teaching and in Jesus' explanation, this is the first time after 120 incidences that now He says that He is my Father and your Father. He is my God and He's your God. Why, why does this matter? Because right here, He is saying to Mary and saying to us, don't just cling to me but I am now birthing the church. He's saying for your emotional, for your spiritual, for your physical and for your relational dependence, I am going to put you in a family. I'm gonna put you in a body of believers that while I am the cornerstone and I am the head of that family, He is saying, if God is your father and I am your brother, now go and be into relationship, into connection and into dependency in each other. He goes from being the rabbi and the teacher that they followed to now sending Mary to go and find the brothers. Are you seeing this today? It's cool, right? What God is doing is He's showing us that His plan was that we were never to come and do church. We were never to come and do a service. We were never meant to come independently and have our faith. He was seeing family he was seeing the relationship of brothers and sisters together as the deepest of relationships as we worship together and ate together and grow together and heal together and restore together and to change the world together. You see, spiritual formation happens in community, not individually. His plan was that we would come together to heal, to restore, to be made whole with Christ in the centre but this would be the centre of our priorities, that we would grow together and forgive together and meet needs together and celebrate together and cry together. You as an individual stone and me as an individual stone, Him bringing it all together so that we would be the family of God. See, a, a, a tree and its formation, and can I say, who's maturing? We're all maturing in Christ. I'm not there because I hold a microphone. I'm maturing, I'm growing in Christ and will be until I go to be with Him. A tree, while it's maturing, if it is moved from soil to soil to soil, will never fully mature and have the fruit it's meant to have. Same with a child. I was talking to someone, a great guy, I found Jesus in the first service, that if you're adopted and then you move from family to family to family, you never fully mature into the person you were created to be until you find a family that you belong in, put roots down, and it becomes more than just a house, it becomes a home. If I can, His plan was always that we would grow and mature with brothers and sisters. That I'm more than your pastor, I'm your brother and sister. They are more than the person you sit down the row from each week. They're your brother and sister. They are more than someone that you just know by name. You are dependent on them. We are reliant on them to be the family of God He called us to be. This is why 
in, in Scripture, we don't read anywhere it says personal Saviour. Although I believe He is your personal Saviour, however, Jesus came to save the world. And I get to be a part of it. This is the problem with the rich young ruler. Did the rich young ruler love Jesus? Yes. Did, did Jesus love the rich young ruler? Absolutely, the Scripture tells us this. The problem is not the love for Jesus or Jesus' love for him. It's that he wasn't willing to leave his life and his priorities to join the community of believers that Jesus was creating. Let me say it this way. He had too much going on for himself that he wasn't willing to give all for everyone and be willing to be part of people that were dependent on one another. He was a self-made man that had too much going on for himself. We show in Scripture so often, are you cool going just teaching a bit deeper today? In Scripture, we, we read you. Because in English, we just say you. Hey, you. Am I talking to one or am I talking to a whole crowd? Well, it's you. But when we go and understand the Greek and the Hebrew, when Jesus talks to us and says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the earth, you know He's not talking to you or I as an individual. He's talking to us as a collective. It's not singular you, it's plural. We walk away with this pressure, oh, I've got to change my world. No, you don't. You've got to be part of a group of believers that inspires each other, encourages one another, builds faith in another, cries and laughs together. And then when they see you in this and you then in your world, you are never alone, but us together, we are light, we are salt. Jeremiah 29, we now go to the Hebrew, but it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. We take that like God's got a plan for me. Do you know that's not singular, that's plural. He's saying, I've got a plan for my church. He's saying, I've got a plan for this nation. I've got a plan for us. And sometimes like, that no, church has got it wrong, but He's got a plan for me. No, He's got a plan for me as part of this body of believers. Even as we go to Revelation, I think 3 verse 20, and I think He's talking to one of the churches, I think it's the church in Lacedonia, wherever it is. And He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we've taught it and it's not wrong. It's just not complete. And no, Jesus is coming to your individual heart and He's saying, let me in. He's talking to the church. He's not just saying, I just want to do life with you. He's saying, I want to be part of this church fellowship. He's talking to a church. He's saying, I don't just see you individually. I see you corporately in community. And while I know you personally, I believe I died and I birthed the church so you could find wholeness and healing and belonging and restoration and maturity in the body of believers, in the family of God, in the marriage of the Lamb. This is what He's called us to be, the people of God, amen? Come on, just Kenny can come. The, the, early, the early church that changed the world, do you know it wasn't their beliefs that changed the world and got the attention of the world? Eventually it was, but there was a lot of philosophy. There was the Greeks that had philosophy, the Romans had philosophy, the Jews had philosophy, and now the Christians had philosophy, they had beliefs. Do you know what changed the world? It was their behaviour. It was how they treated one another. It was from, from slave to master, they came in a place and a space and a relationship where they were equals, where any nationality and any belief and any philosophy could join. And they were devoted, not just connected, but devoted to one another, devoted to learning from one another, devoted to breaking bread to one, with one another, devoted to meeting each other's needs, to, devoted, devoted to the, the temple and the homes and the Lord added to them daily because an 
individual was never as good as the community could be. So that community became salt and light to the world and it changed the world. We can have all of the beliefs of what the church is, but if they looked at our behaviour, would they know we are His disciples by the way we love one another? See, this is where we get it wrong. We think the church is for me. No, the church is for us. We ask ourselves these questions, well, is the church meeting my needs at the moment? Where He created a community where I ask myself, am I meeting the needs of the church, the ecclesia, the people, the us, my family? Am I meeting the needs of the family? I was talking to someone before, going, I've gone through so much and I haven't seen my healing yet. And they said, after hearing this morning, I felt God say, as you walk through your healing, you're meant to be helping others that are on the same journey. Because we, we live sometimes with, no, I've got my needs. But what if they weren't your needs alone? What if it was our needs for healing and restoration together? What if there were people that poured into your life and now you need to pour into others? It's here when I live with my walk with God and my, my life, uh, when I get hurt or disappointed, I run from pain, I hide. But here, I stay because it's family and you don't quit on family. You don't betray your brother. I stay, I restore, I talk and I heal. It's here, I come to church for people I like. I sit with people I know. I don't talk to people I don't know. I, I, I don't talk to someone a different age or different nationality. But it's here that the old and the young can walk together. It's here that we're a family. It's here we encourage one another and inspire and be willing. Again, I talked to someone else in the foyer after the first service and they said just last week having to talked about this need for one another. They went and introduced themselves to someone they'd never met and their story of what they've walked through inspired them for what God had on their life. They went and met someone else and then that person started prophetically speaking in. You know why? They went beyond the people they know just saying this has to be a family. It's here, we say things, did you enjoy church today? But it's over here, we say, did I bring my worship today? Because it wasn't about my entertainment or my enjoyment. It was about what did I bring in worship? It's here, hey, if you give, you will receive. But it's over here, I receive so I can give. It's over here, I am a sinner and everyone is judging and God is angry. It's here, no, we are sinners and we are all on the journey of restoration and hope. It's over here, I have my beliefs, but over here, I have my behaviour with a foundation that's found in the beliefs. It was never meant to be about my moment and my service and my experience, but we we were called to be the family of God. And you might be here thinking, but, but Josh, didn't Jesus leave the 99 to go look for the one? He sure did, because He loves the one. He did give His life for the one. He, he noticed the one. But do you notice He went and found the one and brought the one back into community, brought the one back into relationship with the rest of the flock. Mommy, didn't He heal the one? Absolutely. Well, let's use the woman with the issue of blood because we still today refer to her as, as the woman because we're an individual society. But when Jesus turned and saw her, what did He call her? Daughter. The great miracle wasn't just the healing, 
The problem of the disease was that she had to live in isolation from her family and loved ones. But the healing of the blood meant that she could be a daughter, a mother and a sister again. You see, Jesus always intended to bring healing and restoration, not just because I get my opportunity or my moment or my voice, but that we together can grow together and heal together and restore together. And sometimes, the wilderness is a picture of isolation. Can I say, some of us feel like the devil went to find Jesus in the wilderness. I believe Jesus went to find the devil because the place where people go to when they get into isolation, I saw the Holy Spirit on this for a moment, it's not a note, but when he went to the devil, he went by himself to conquer what would happen by himself because at the end of his, start of his ministry, he had to defeat the wilderness spirit so that at the end of his ministry, he could create the family of God. If you've been in a wilderness season, don't blame everyone else, don't retreat, don't hide, don't run, come back into community, talk, love, give, serve, and we can be the family of God again. Paul says this in Philippians, and I love how he writes because he makes a pretty good case that none of us can argue with, and it's him, not me. So send him your letters to paul at influences.church.org.net.au.nz. It says this, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, come on, who's gotten anything at all out of following Christ? If His love has made any difference in your life. Man, Paul, you're putting it on thick. If being in the community of the Spirit means anything to you. Come on, who is that? Let's go to this last one. If you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other, love each other and be deep spirited friends. In the Bible, there's about 100 references to one another and I think there's 59 instructions on how you to treat one another. But if you were to summarise them, this is what the Church of Jesus Christ looks like scripturally. He says, in, put in the Bible, it says we are to, on the screen, it says we are to love one another. We are called not just to come in and walk out, get our flowers and leave, to do worship and, and, and that's it. We are to greet one another and show humility towards one another and pray for one another and confess your sins to one another and stir up one another to love and good works and encourage one another and comfort one another and be patient with one another and submit to one another and count one another more significant than yourself. Be kind to one another, carry one another's burdens, serve one another, outdo one another in showing honour, build up one another, counsel one another, live in harmony with one another, forgive one another, teach, teach and admonish one another and be at peace with one another. Am I so devoted to you and you to me in the same way I am devoted to Christ as Christ was devoted to us, as Christ was devoted to the Father and the Father was devoted to me, that I would be in love with Him and in love with us. And together, the church would be the centre of our priorities where His benefits and His presence is made known to all of us. That while at times we feel alone, the truth is we were never alone because He didn't leave, live die, rise again and leave us. But He put us in an environment where the Holy Spirit comes and is the mortar to your stone and your stone and your stone and your stone that you would be light and you would be salt because He's knocking on the door saying, I don't wanna just be part of your individual life. I wanna be part of your fellowship. And then your individual life would reflect the church, the body, the bride, the one I came and gave my life for. And He is inviting us to be a part of that. And then maybe if we could begin the journey to be as devoted as the early church would be, our needs would be met. We change the world and the Lord will add to us daily. 
I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met. I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about him, he loved you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed his love. So he sent his son Jesus to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, he said, I will take their place. So he died and rose again so that his death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past and his life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you. And we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.